You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So for the past few weeks, we've been in this series called The Road to Redemption. And what we've been doing is we've been taking some time to really look within, to, to reflect, and to, to uh, take stock of how we're living, to pay attention to our lives and, and the spiritual condition of our, of our souls as we head into this most sacred time of year for Christians all over the planet. And uh, we've been on this journey that's ultimately going to lead us to the foot of the cross this Friday as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for our Good Friday service. But today, our journey on the road to redemption leads us to Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, or what some might call Passion Week, where we remember Jesus' final days before he went to the cross. And uh, it's a, it's a really big day. It's a day that's marked with celebration because it starts with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the day that Jesus was actually welcomed as a king. Now, speaking of royalty, um, how many of you know that Queen Elizabeth this year is celebrating her platinum jubilee, 70 years on the throne of England? This woman is remarkable. I think she's going to live forever, <laughs> really. She has been queen since February 6, 1952, the longest reigning monarch in British history. You know what that also means? That means her son, Prince Charles, has been waiting a long time to be king. Come on, he's like Simba and Mufasa. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. I think my mom's going to live forever. <laughs> he's been waiting a long time. It's been 70 years uh, since the United Kingdom has had a king. Now, in Jesus' time, the Jewish people hadn't had their own king in 700 years. For seven centuries, the Jewish people had been ruled by pagan outsiders, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. And now, during the life of Jesus, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. Think about this for a moment. These are the people of God, the Jewish people, the people who had the law and the commandments and the covenant, the promise of God that he would make them into a great nation, that he would give them their own promised land. And here they were. In the life of Jesus, during the time of Jesus, they were conquered and being ruled by the pagan Romans. And then Jesus shows up, this great miracle worker, this great prophet who had taught things nobody had ever heard before, this, this great teacher. And he began announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. And he didn't just announce it, he demonstrated it. He healed people and he taught truths that set people free and he opened the eyes of, of blind people and everybody wanted to know, is this the long-awaited king? Is this the long-awaited Messiah that we've been hoping for for all of these years who's gonna come in and overthrow the Romans and usher in a new kingdom? Who's gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? And so everybody's got their opinions about who Jesus is, and there's all of this excitement and commotion. It all begins to build, and it comes to a head in this moment, the moment when Jesus would make his grand entrance into Jerusalem during the Passover feast on that very first Palm Sunday. Let's read about Luke's account of Palm Sunday, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 35. Here's what he says. It says, he, Jesus, went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. 
As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, these are two villages outside of Jerusalem, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. A colt is a young donkey, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Okay, so here they are, Jesus and the disciples. As they approach Jerusalem, Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him. And he says, you're going to find a colt. You're going to find a a young donkey. And I want you to go get it for me. And if if anybody asks you why you're taking it, just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, I find this funny because this is like Jesus asking you to go carjack somebody and just tell them the Lord needs it. Come on, why are you taking my Mercedes? The Lord needs it. Like Jedi mind trick, the Lord needs it. (laughs) Right? Go take take a donkey. And if they ask you why you're taking it, just tell them that that I need it. Now, this this is, you know, this is kind of funny to me. This is This is a bit strange because a donkey is not really the most majestic animal. How many of you know that? Have you ever seen a donkey up close? We have a picture for you, okay? Not exactly the most majestic animal in the animal kingdom. (laughs) Now, how many of you want to see a cheesy picture of your pastor riding a donkey in the Holy Land? Anybody? I know you do. Go ahead. Put it up there. Yeah, baby. There's me and my dad a couple years ago. We were in Israel. We rode some donkeys in Galilee. It was awesome. <laughs> but here's a, it's, I find it kind of funny, right? Because Jesus just sends the disciples ahead to go get a donkey. And how many of you notice in the text, he doesn't really explain to them why he wants the donkey, right? He just says, go get a donkey. And I'm sure the disciples, as they're going to get the donkey, like, what are we doing, right? Like, what is this all about? Have you ever felt like God asked you to do something and it didn't make sense to you? It's what we might call a donkey mission. Like, God, why are you sending me on a donkey mission? Because what you're asking me to do doesn't make sense. Like, God, why are you asking me to pray for that person? I don't even like that person. Why do you want me to pray for that person? (laughs) God, why are you asking me to, maybe God puts it on your heart to give something extra, you know, in the building fund or in tithes and offerings. Like, Lord, don't you know I'm saving for a Disney vacation this summer? I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage on my house so we can afford this Disney vacation. And yet you're asking me to give more. Sometimes God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense. I want you to text the scripture to this person. Oh, no, God, they're doing good. I just saw their latest Instagram post. They look really happy. Everything's good. Come on, sometimes God asks us to do something. It's a donkey mission. Like God asks us to do something, and we don't quite understand why he's asking us to do it. Now, in Matthew, in John's gospel account of this story, we find out what this donkey mission was actually all about. Here's what it was. It was actually the fulfillment of Scripture. It was the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken centuries earlier. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. This simple act of obedience fulfilled a prophecy that had been waited to be fulfilled for centuries. Come on, sometimes a a simple act of, of obedience can honor God. You never know how God might take a simple act of obedience and use it to bring about his purposes, use it to reveal himself. Here's the idea when we don't understand, when God asks us to do something, obedience is our responsibility, outcome is God's responsibility. 
Come on, obedience is, God, I don't know why you want me to give. I don't know why you want me to, you know, to pray for this person. I don't know why you want me to do this, do that. Why do you want me to go get this donkey? Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. We trust that he has a plan. We trust his purposes. We, we know that a simple, we never know how God can use a simple act of obedience in our lives to reveal his purposes, to impact somebody's life, to reveal his glory. Now, the donkey was a symbol of humility, of peace, and royalty. Uh, in the times of war, a conquering king might come in uh, on a prancing stallion. But in times of peace, traditionally, the kings of Israel would ride upon a donkey to symbolize that peace prevailed. See, Jesus was showing the people something. I want you to realize this. This is almost like theater. Everything Jesus was doing in this moment, he understood that the people were watching him. Everything he was doing on Palm Sunday, this was all very symbolic. Jesus understood his mission. He knew who he was. He knew he was fulfilling prophecy. So Jesus was showing the people that he was indeed the, the promised Messiah. He was indeed the king, but he was a different kind of king. He was a humble king. He was a, a gentle king. He, he was a king who would bring reconciliation and, and peace. He wasn't a king who came to bring a political revolution. He didn't show up with an army. He didn't whip the crowds into a frenzy to try to overthrow the religious leaders and the Romans by force. No, he was a different kind of king. And what a contrast to the world that we find ourselves living in today. What a contrast to the political leaders of our time who would aspire to power. Come on, we're living through a crisis right now where there's a dictator in Russia who's trying to impose his will on a peaceful neighbor through force. And what a stark contrast that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who had all power, who had all authority, what a contrast when he shows what true power looks like. A gentle king, a humble king, a peaceful king. Now, no doubt Jesus will return one day and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He's coming back as a conquering king. But the good news for you and me, church, is he's come to us and he's opened up a time of mercy and grace. And he's a king who comes to us peacefully, gently, humbly riding on a donkey to be our king. Now, how would the crowd receive this humble king riding on a donkey? Well, let's keep going. Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 38. It says, as he, Jesus, went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, which is directly across from the temple, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Some translations say, Hosanna, glory in the highest. It goes on to say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So Jesus comes and the people begin to cheer. And the crowds are, are going wild. And Jesus is greeted like a king. He's greeted like a, a celebrity. People are spreading their cloaks on the ground. And other translations say they cut down palm branches and begin to wave the branches. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. And people begin to shout scriptures to him, scriptures that were about the Messiah. It's as if they were saying, could it possibly be that you are the one that we've waited for? You are the long-awaited Messiah. Now, John tells us in his gospel in John chapter 12 that many people were there who had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Not long before this, Jesus had raised one of his best friends, Lazarus, from the dead. And so the, the news has spread, and, and people wanted to see Jesus. And 
And uh, they wanted to see the spectacle of this great miracle worker named Jesus. He was this celebrity, and everybody wanted to catch a glimpse of him. Have you ever been in one of those atmospheres where people were excited to see a celebrity? You know, maybe you went to a concert. Come on, Justin Bieber was here last week. I can only imagine the screaming teenage girls in the Barclays Center, right? Maybe you went to a concert, or maybe you went to a, a sports event, a football game, or maybe a Broadway show. Amy and I, we went to see uh, the, mirror, the, the uh, Music Man with, with Hugh Jackman back in February. And in the opening scene, they're all riding on a train, and Hugh Jackman, his face is covered by a newspaper. And so by the time you get a few minutes into the scene, like you've seen everybody else's face, and you realize there's this one guy over there who's covered up with a newspaper, and you put two and two together, like, okay, that's got to be Hugh Jackman, right? And so the anticipation builds, and at the end of the scene, he drops the newspaper, and everybody screams and applauses, right? Because the big star that everybody came to see finally reveals himself. And that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is, is welcomed as a celebrity. Here's the thing about celebrities. We kind of feel like we know them, don't we? It's funny if you think about it, because we know the characters they play, we see them in movies, and we see them in shows, and we have this sense like, that we kind of know them, know them, but do we really know them? I mean, think about it. Do we really know them? Did the people in the crowd that day who came to experience Jesus as a spectacle, did they really know Jesus? Did they really know what it was to follow him? Did they really, had they really come to the point that Peter had come to not long before this, where he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I will, I will follow you. Come on, it's one thing to know about Jesus. But it's another thing to actually know Jesus for who he is, to know him, to hear his voice, to follow him, to follow him with, with our whole lives, not just to know him and follow him on Sunday, but to follow him on the other six days of the week. It's one thing to know him. It's another thing to know, to know about him, because he's called us not to just be another face in the crowd, but to follow him with our whole lives. And so one moment, everybody is celebrating. There's all this commotion. Everybody wants to see Jesus, there's all of this excitement, and then all of a sudden, everything comes to a screeching halt as Jesus approaches the city. Let's pick it back up, Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In the midst of all of the commotion and the revelry and the excitement, Jesus begins to weep over the city. Like in this, this moment of celebration, he just, he begins to, to weep. I mean, talk about a mood killer. I'm sure his disciples were like, Jesus, how can you begin weeping at a moment like this? Like this is the moment we've waited for. They're cheering for you. They're welcoming you as the king. They're welcoming you as the Messiah. Like what happened? What's going on here? Well, Jesus knew the, that the very same people who were celebrating him were the same people who would eventually crucify him. Jesus knew that, that many of the same people in the crowd who were, who were shouting Hosanna in the highest would be the same people who would shout crucify him just a few days later. 
He knew that they would ultimately reject him. Jerusalem would re- reject him in his, in his message in the kingdom that he was trying to establish because they wanted an earthly kingdom. And he saw the tragic results of that rejection. And in verses 41, 43 through 44, Jesus prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, which would indeed come to pass just a few years after the life of Jesus on planet Earth. In 70 AD, the Romans would come and lay siege to Jerusalem because the people were so intent on having their political rebellion. And so the Roman Empire came in and crushed them with force and destroyed the city. And the temple still lies in ruins to this day. You see, Jesus was the king they needed, but he wasn't the king they wanted. He was the king they needed, but they they couldn't see it. They, they, They wanted a king who would come, who would overthrow the bad guys, who would overthrow the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. They wanted a political revolution. They didn't understand Jesus's mission and what his kingdom was all about. And so they ultimately rejected him. Come on, Jesus had something so much bigger in mind. They were so worried about their one little small little kingdom on planet earth. And Jesus was like, you don't understand. My kingdom is so much bigger than this. Come on, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I've got something bigger in mind. It's about the salvation of the whole world. I'm doing something much bigger than you can see. And and they missed it. They missed it. And I just wonder, church, how many times we reject Jesus's kingship because we don't understand his plan and his purpose. It's easy to point fingers at them, but I wonder how many times we reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. We reject his his kingship because we don't understand the bigger picture. We're so focused on what we thought God was going to do. We're so focused on God doing what we expected him to do, what we want him to do on our timetable. How many of you have discovered that God does not operate on your timetable? I hate to disappoint you if you're new to this whole thing. And I think sometimes we get so fixated on our plan, our purpose, what we want God to do that, in a sense, we kind of miss his, we don't see it. Just like Jesus said, they didn't even, they didn't even see it like God is something so much bigger for you. If you could learn to trust him, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Come on, as, the high, as high as the heavens are above, right? His plan and purpose is bigger than us. God, give us eyes to see God, give us a heart to trust you, to trust your kingship, your lordship over our lives. So what's the point of all this? What do we learn from Palm Sunday? I want to leave you with three thoughts today. Here's the first thought. Number one, it's possible to have an encounter with Jesus and still miss who he is. Come on, this is something we learned. It's a wake-up call. It's possible to have an encounter with Jesus and still miss out on who he is. Jesus weeps over the city. And in verse 44, he says, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Like they truly didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. They, they, they didn't really know him. They saw him. They experienced the spectacle that was Jesus, but they, they, didn't, really, they didn't really know him. You know, I've often thought, like, if I can get in a time machine, you know, like, where's the one place I'd want to go? Man, I would want to go back and see Jesus in person, right? To think about they were there in the crowds, and they got to to see him, yet they missed out on who he really was. Come on, it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to recognize him for who he really is. 
And I think even for us, sometimes we have these moments where we encounter Jesus. Maybe we come to church on a day like today, and we have a, a moment in worship where we feel God's presence, or maybe we hear a message that moves our heart, or we read a Christian book or a devotional or a scripture that we feel like is just for us, and there's this sense that we've encountered Jesus. Aren't you thankful for those moments? And we have those moments, but sometimes we miss like who he really is. Like he's, you know, not just those moments, but that he really wants to be like the Lord of our lives, the king of our, our lives. And I think sometimes we fail to recognize that he's the son of God, that he's sovereign, that he truly is king. It, it's possible to have an encounter with Jesus and still miss who he really is. Here's the second thing. Number two, being a disciple is far more important than being a fan of Jesus. What do we learn from Palm Sunday? Being a disciple is far more important than being a fan. Jesus didn't call you to be a fan. Jesus has always had fans. Jesus has never had a shortage of, of groupies and fans, you know, following him in, in the crowd. Like many people are fans of Jesus to this day. You can meet people all the time. Oh, I think Jesus was great. Oh, he was wonderful. You know, he was a great, he was a great moral teacher, great moral philosopher. I'm not into that whole church thing. I'm not into organized religion, right? But Jesus was wonderful. You can meet a lot of people on the street who don't even consider themselves to be followers of Christ who, who admire Jesus. But Jesus hasn't called you and me to, to be fans. He's called us to be followers, to be disciples. Come on, the crowd will only follow Jesus so far. It's easy to follow Jesus until it becomes convenient. Come on, it's easy to shout at Jesus in the crowd and sing the songs and amen the sermons, but sometimes it becomes less convenient when he asks you to sacrifice something to follow him. It becomes less convenient when he says, I want to be Lord over every area of your life. Oh no, God, I'm good with that. I'm good with you being my, my, my king as long as you don't touch this part of my life. I, I think we like the idea of Jesus being savior, if we're honest, a lot better than we like the idea of Jesus being king. Oh, it's wonderful. Jesus saved me. I didn't have to do anything. It's the free gift of salvation. That's not, sign me up. That sounds good. Jesus can heal me. Oh, salvation, healing, freedom, provision. Hallelujah. All those things sound wonderful. Jira. Yeah. Right? Until Jesus shows up and says, no, I don't just want to be your savior. I want to be your, your, your king. I want to rule over every area of your life. I don't want to just be king on Sunday. I want Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I want every compartment of your life. And I think it's like, yeah, we like this idea of Jesus being Lord until, until he comes in and, and, and until it's like, but Jesus, I don't really want you touching that area of my life. Like, I'm good if you're, if you're my God here, but, you know, as long as you don't touch my career aspirations or my money or my sex life, because all that really belongs to me. No, 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 no. He wants to be the Lord over every area of your life. There are no compartments. Everything belongs to him if he's, if he's your king. Come on, being a disciple, it's... It's far more important than, than being a fan of Jesus. He's not calling us to be fans. He's, he's calling us to follow him with, with our whole lives. Anybody can celebrate with Jesus at the gates. Only a disciple goes with Jesus to Gethsemane and gets in it with him and suffers with him and cries with him and waits with him and follows him even when it becomes in, inconvenient. Can I just give you some, some signs of discipleship? Let me help you today. Let me make this really practical for you, okay? How to know you're, you're, you're being a disciple, you're transitioning from just being an admirer and a fan to being a disciple. How do I know I'm doing this disciple thing right, Pastor Jeremy? Well, quite frequently, you should be discovering that your will is different than God's will, and you find yourself choosing God's will over your will. 
Like on a regular basis, you, you should be discovering <laughs> that you're wrong about some things. And the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit in your life is, is correcting you and pushing you to be more like Jesus. How many of you know that? If you want to know what it really feels, if that's not happening, okay, then maybe we need to tune into the voice of God a little bit. Because to be a disciple is to, is to follow Jesus. And naturally, as human beings with a sinful nature, we are sinful and we're selfish. And so we like to put ourselves at the center of the universe. We want to be the king of our little castle. We want to be the queen of our little castle. But on a regular basis, if you're doing this discipleship thing right, you should be, you should be dethroned on a regular basis. There should be little gentle corrections, little gentle whispers, little, little the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit where God is correcting you and he's steering you. You want to know what it looks like to submit to his, his kingship? To not just know him as savior, but to have him as a king? His kingdom should be invading your life every now and then. Come on, there should be moments. There should be moments when God just begins to speak to you, where the Holy Spirit overwhelms you, times in personal worship, times in scripture, times when you're in the middle of an argument with somebody and it just gets arrested, it gets stopped. Like, no, I'm stopping right now and I'm inviting you into this moment, God. I'm inviting you into this situation, a tense moment, a broken moment, a moment where you're overwhelmed with bitterness or unforgiveness, and the Holy Spirit just shows up, and his kingdom invades your life. That's what it looks like to have him as your king. It can happen. You can be driving on your commute, you know? You just think, I'm just going to put a worship music, put a worship song on, just trying to get a little pep in my step, and all of a sudden, tears begin flowing down as God begins to speak to your heart. Can I tell you, that happened to me just this week. I went up to my wife and I confessed, honey, I'm a sinful man. I don't even know why God uses me. Come on, Peter had a moment like that. You ever read the great catch of fish miracle? One of the first miracles Peter ever saw? He didn't say, Jesus, you're amazing. He said, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Who am I to be following you? I had a moment where I had to go find my wife and confess. <laughs> and say, man, God's just speaking to me today. Who am I that he uses my life in this way? You should have moments like that where his kingdom just shows up in your life, just invades your, your life. Man, there, you may need to just put some, some worship music on while you're doing the dishes around the house and just let his kingdom show up. That's what it looks like to be a follower, to be submitted to his kingdom. Number three, here's the third thing we, we, we learn. The joy of being a follower of Jesus is truly knowing him. It's truly knowing him. Come on, there were plenty of spectators doubters, haters in the crowd that day. There were all kinds of people who thought they, they knew what Jesus was all about. There were people who just wanted to catch a glimpse of him, who just wanted to see the spectacle, the celebrity that was Jesus. There were the religious leaders in the crowd that day who were threatened by Jesus. There were the Romans who kept a close eye on Jesus, maybe thought he was another insurrectionist. There were all kinds of people who had opinions about Jesus in the crowd that day. But then there were some people in the crowd that day who knew Jesus personally. Come on, Lazarus was probably in the crowd that day. Talk about knowing Jesus personally. Just a few days before that, he was dead when he heard the voice of Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth, woke him up from, from death. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, were there who had seen Jesus raise their, their brother from the dead. Maybe Mary Magdalene was there who, who Jesus had cast several demons out of her. 
completely changed her, her life. Maybe the man known as Bartimaeus, the blind man whose eyes Jesus had just opened not too long before this. Maybe Zacchaeus, the infamous tax collector who was hated by his community for ripping people off. And Jesus changed his whole life when he said, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. I'm changing your life. I'm giving you a whole new identity because I'm associating myself with you. His disciples were there. His disciples were there, right? They had been touched by his life. They had done life with Jesus. They weren't just another face in the crowd. They had followed him. They had dropped everything. They had put their life on hold to follow him, and they had traveled with him, and they were there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the, theirs is the kingdom. They shall inherit the earth. They were there when, when Jesus healed people, when he set people free, and they traveled with him, and they shared meals with him around campfires, and, and they did life with Jesus, and, and they knew how, how he had touched their lives. Come on, if you know Jesus personally, you know how he's touched your life. You know how he healed you. You know how he saved you. You know how he restored you. And you know the joy of having a relationship with him, to know his purpose, to know his, his peace, to live with a sense of, of his presence, to know his, his forgiveness and, and his grace, to have friendship with God. This is the great joy of being a follower of Jesus. It's to know Jesus personally. Now get this for just a moment. None of the disciples got to see the full earthly fulfillment of the kingdom. Make no mistake, they knew Jesus personally, but they had hoped that Jesus would also bring an earthly kingdom. Next week, we're going to read about the resurrection, right? And everybody's confused on Resurrection Sunday because they thought it was all over with. Even though they knew Jesus personally, they had hopes, like many in the crowd, that Jesus was going to bring an earthly kingdom and they were going to be a part of it. Here, here's the point today, church. What do you do? What do you do when, what do you end up with when God doesn't do what you thought he would do? What do you end up with if you're like the disciples and Jesus doesn't do what you thought he was going to do? He doesn't bring the kind of kingdom you thought he was going to bring. What do you have when it's all said and done if he doesn't do what you thought he was going to do? Let me tell you, you have Jesus, and that's enough. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Come on, what do you do if you still haven't landed that dream job? What do you do if your finances aren't where you thought they would be by now? What do you do if you're still struggling with that, that physical sickness that you thought you'd be healed of by now? What do you do if you're still battling that, that addiction that you thought you would be over by now? What if God hasn't given you that special person that you've prayed for for so long or given you that baby that you'd hoped for or, or you haven't experienced that, that freedom or that you thought you would experience by now? What do you do if you don't get what you thought you would get? Let me tell you, if you have Jesus, you hold on to him because you have everything you need. His presence in your life, his joy, his goodness, his purpose over your life, that's what you have. And we hold on to him. Come on, we trust his purposes because we don't want to be like the people in the crowd that day who encountered Jesus but didn't see it. God, give us eyes to see and a heart to trust you that your plan and your purposes are, are, are better than mine, God. God, I choose to trust you. I choose to believe that you're good. Come on, I choose to hold out hope. I choose to believe that you're good. Even if you haven't done things on my timing, my timetable, the way I thought everything would turn out. Jesus, I choose to believe that you're, 
you're good and you're working on my behalf. And so we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. And our prayer team is going to be coming up today at the end of the service. And if you need prayer today, we want to pray. We want to pray that the kingdom of God would be released over your life today, whatever it is that you're trusting him for. We want to pray for the release of his kingdom over your life. And so just begin to prepare your heart if you need prayer today. But Jesus wants to be your king today, church. He comes to you gently, humbly. He's the king who comes riding on a donkey. He doesn't force his way into our lives. And he wants to be your king if you'll have him. One day he's coming back as a conquering king. Come on, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for you and me in this season, he's opened up a time of mercy and grace if we can just see him and receive him for who he is. Because the crowds will scatter. The hype will die down. And when adversity comes, when Jesus doesn't do everything you thought he would do, will you still put your trust in him. Will you trust his lordship? Will you trust him when he calls you to sacrifice? Will you trust him when he asks you to yield some area of your life fully to him? Because it's one thing to be a Christian. It's a whole nother thing to have Jesus as your king. Come on, it's one thing to be a Christian. It's another thing to say, Jesus, you are my king. I invite you to rule and reign over every area of my life. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to take a moment to pray. Come on, stand with me. Just bow your heads. Maybe you want to lift your hands. If that's new to you, that's just a symbol of surrender. Just bow your head. Close your eyes. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite him to do that today. We're going to invite his kingdom to be released in our lives. We're going to invite him to be not only our savior, but to be our king. We're going to open our hearts to him today. So Jesus, we welcome you today as our king. We thank you that you come to us gently. We thank you that you come to us humbly. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that Jesus, you don't force your way in, but you came to us so gently. You allowed yourself to be sacrificed for us. Jesus today, we recognize you as king. Search our hearts today, God. Maybe you're showing us today some area of our lives that's not submitted to your, your lordship. Jesus, we invite you to be king over every area of our lives. God, we don't want any compartments. Everything belongs to you, God. Fully submitted to you, God. Lord, don't let us miss you. God, don't let us be so distracted by our plan, by our purpose, by what we want that we miss out that we miss out on the greater thing that you have for us, God. Give us eyes to see and a heart to trust your plan, that you are a good, loving, and gracious God who has a greater plan for our lives than we could ever understand. And so we trust you in it. And if we have you, we have everything. And now, Father, I pray for the person today who feels like a spectator in the crowd. As we're praying today, I pray for the person who, who feels like they see you from a distance. And they would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. I, I want to live with a sense of his purpose. I want to be able to hear his voice. I want to have him in my life, his presence in my life. But I feel so, so far away from him. But today, I want to know him that way. If that's you and you sense that, we believe that, that God is drawing you to himself today. 
And what you're sensing in your heart is the gentle tug of the Holy Spirit leading you to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to pray with me today. Jesus, I welcome you as my king. Maybe for the first time, pray with me. Jesus, I welcome you as my king. I believe you are the son of God. That you are who you said you are. That you live for me. That you died for me. You paid for my sins on the cross. And you resurrected that I might have new life. Jesus, I place my faith in you. And I believe you are the king. And I invite you to be Lord of my life today. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today for the first time, for the hundredth time. God, I thank you that the scripture says your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again, sons and daughters, never the same, new life in Jesus Christ, never the same. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.